Yeah, yeah, yeah! Come and take a look at the snow. Bright white as far as your eyesight goes. Come and take a look at the fields of snow. I'll just get my coat, then we're good to go. Come and take a look at the lake. Let's have a quick skate before it gets late. Come and take a look at the frozen lake. Put your clothes on, mate. Don't make that mistake. Greetings, holiday shoppers. There are now just 160 shopping days left until Christmas, and I believe you know what that means. That means it's time for another episode of Christmas Creeps, your one-stop shop for holiday madness all year round. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I am your host for this episode and every episode of Christmas Creeps. Uh, Joining me tonight is my co-host, Mr. Bradford. Hey there. How's it going? I'm doing well, Brad. How you doing? I am doing I'm doing pretty well. Thank you for asking. How's the summer treating you? The summer is, has been treating me pretty well. I've got my hat on backwards. It's time to party. Uh, where's Where's John? Uh, he I don't know. He's not with us this week. I think he uh, he may be lost in the wilderness. Uh, this has happened before, and yeah, I, his face appeared on a milk carton, and <laughs> it was a terrible tragedy. I've heard that he's fighting fires up in our, uh, Ontario. There's a bunch of forest fires up there right now, uh, and you know Santa's Village is up there. Uh, Ooh, the theme park so Santa's Village, not actual Santa Village. Uh, so he might have joined like a hotspot crew to oh, help maybe. to help the uh, the Christmas creeps cause. But but in his stead, we have a special guest with us this week uh, from the podcast Breaking Mayberry and my writing uh, compatriot from FrontRowCentral.com. Uh, we have Martin R. Schneider with us this week. Oh God, what is this? Where am I? Everything's in color. <laughs> Everything's so bright. What is this? <laughs> Where Welcome did you to the world of holiday podcasting, Marty? <laughs> no, no, this isn't right. Everything is in black and white and dull, and we never ever leave one tiny town in North Carolina. That's what I'm used to. Uh, well, you know, Marty, uh, things change, and the holidays are all around us. And welcome to. I don't know, man. I've, I've, I've... You've, you've, you've traded in one. Uh, one test of your mat your intellectual will for another uh we are torturing you with holiday nonsense this week marty i feel like like jack skellington what's this <laughs> what's this there's actual there's dumb shit everywhere <laughs> <laughs> uh, marty uh tell us real quick uh, about breaking mayberry what's what's the podcast uh, about yeah so breaking mayberry is a podcast kind of about the andy griffith show uh my partner dan and i take on two episodes of the show every week uh, and kind of scream about this weird, like, bizarre piece of Americana that became so important to our grandfathers and actually wound up pervading people's political ideas. Uh, And we try to understand what is this show, why was it so popular, uh, what was it about that time period, the 1960s, that made this work out. So it's it's a show where we recap Andy Griffith's show episodes, but also we talk about... uh, kind of weird ideas and politics and stuff that came from that same time period. So, yeah, please check us out. We are on everywhere you can get podcasts, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, now on Spotify, and on YouTube. So, yeah, look for Breaking Mayberry wherever you want. That's the end of my plug. And I will. I would also like to plug that I was on your show uh, last week to talk about the one and only Andy Griffith Christmas episode. Yeah, you um, were. It was a lot of fun, too. It's a good episode. Yeah, it was great. It's great, yeah. So definitely check that out. We'll put that in the show notes. Um, also, we have Marty on for a very particular reason, because this week on the show we are discussing uh, the 
Opus and Bill uh, Christmas special, A Wish for Wings That Work, uh, based on the Opus and Bill Outland Bloom County comic strip by Berkeley Brethed. And Marty is the world's first and foremost expert in all things Berkeley Brethed um, because he has a very particular relationship with the film Mars Needs Moms, written by Berkeley Brethed. Marty, <laughs> tell us about that. You know, honestly... I genuinely forgot that that was based on a Berkeley Brethed book until you told me yesterday. Uh, <laughs> my my fight is not with Brethed, as a matter of fact. My fight is with Robert Zemeckis, and he knows what he did. Uh, <laughs> so, way back in 2011, a animated movie was released called Mars Needs Moms. You didn't see it. Nobody saw it. It was one of the biggest financial failures in history. It cost something like $40 million to make. And made something like $4 million opening weekend. Uh, and there's a reason for that. It's horrible and ugly and terrible. Um, it's one of those weird... Remember back when Robert Zemeckis was trying to convince us that uh, motion capture and those weird like dead-eye Tom Hanks Polar Express bullshit was the wave of the future? So it's one of those. Uh, and yeah, yeah. and uh, so it came out. It took years to produce. It was shoved out in the middle of March uh, and... It was one of those things where Disney didn't produce it, or it's not a Disney movie, uh, but it's one of those small subsidiaries of Disney, and they shut that film, or they shut that studio the hell down, like, the day that this was released. They had zero confidence in this. Uh, so, back in our Something Awful days, when Joe and I were working together, uh, this was one of my first movie critic writing gigs. I saw this movie, and I was astounded by not... just. How bad and how ugly it was, but also, like, incredibly misogynistic and uh, quite a little bit homophobic. So, the reason why Mars needs moms in this movie is that all of the Martian women are too busy having jobs, like, to raise children. They're being, like, politicians and soldiers and stuff, right? And Bad luck. <laughs> Bad luck, that, Robert Zemeckis. It's not a, not a good start. Not a good start. Uh, and the Martian men, you may be wondering where they are. Well, they are all in a colony together where they paint each other in rainbow colors and dance together and hug each other all day long. <laughs> I'm I not to, making... I need to see this movie now. Just You no. genuinely <laughs> don't. I'm not making any of this up. Okay. Uh, I believe you then. I guess I, I don't need to see it. I walked out of that theater jaw on the floor, so that was the first thing I ever wrote. I just got so angry about it. Uh, and that was like the first thing I ever wrote that picked up traction. Uh, fast forward a few years later, I'm at the Philadelphia Film Festival, uh, and the special guest of honor is none other than Mr. Robert Zemeckis doing a special Q&A, and I have my like press badge and everything there. Uh, so... I'm about the third person that gets asked about it, or that gets to ask a question, and everybody before me was just like, where do you come up with your ideas? What What's what's Michael J. Fox like? He's nice. Um, <laughs> and so I come up there, and I say, like, first off, my name is Marty, so I've seen the Back to the Future movies a million times, and I guess I was kind of like, hey, thank you for doing that. You've had a big influence on me. So let's talk about your biggest fucking failure. <laughs> Uh, and to be to be fair to uh, Zemeckis, he did not direct it. It was just his studio. Uh, and I was like, what the hell happened there? And I don't know what I was expecting. I was, you know, a young critic, and uh, I'm sure I wasn't, like, 
I wasn't really expecting a whole lot there, but uh, I don't know if I was expecting him to throw his director under the bus or something and give an explanation. He got real mad. To his credit, <laughs> he blinked. He was like, well, thanks for liking Back to the Future. He, he said that uh, it was, like, unfairly maligned. He got mad at critics. He uh, said it was lost in a studio restructuring, uh, which is code for they shut me down. Uh, and this is the quote that got me quoted, like, all sorts of places. Um, he said it was the best 3D movie since Avatar. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, like, People Magazine was there. Hollywood Insider was there. Uh, and that's the quote that blew up. Uh, and so people talked to me. That was in, like, 2012. Uh, I do have a, like, aggrieved relationship with this. Uh, Zemeckis, if he remembers me at all, thinks I'm a pissant little bitch. Um... And uh, so that's my thing. But all of this stems from a book by Burke Brethed, which, as far as I know, doesn't have any of the themes I just mentioned. So I thought I was coming on this show because I just know a lot about newspaper comics. Nope. No, Joe brought me on here. Nope. To, to make me I wanted, relive- I wanted to, to air a bunch of old grievances and bring up a bunch of dirt that Marty probably would rather forget. No, honestly, apologize. I like that story. I tell that story on, like, second dates, so it's... <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I, I pissed off Robert Zemeckis one time. <laughs> and then I have to be like, yeah, Robert, you know, who framed Roger Rabbit? Forrest Gump? Yeah. I call him Bobby. It's, it's cool. We're cool. <laughs> <laughs> we but anyway... <laughs> anyway also one time i sat behind gary oldman at a at a movie like a short film festival that's my other like hollywood star encounter gary oldman claps after movies oh he's one of those people yep oh man you can clap for a movie especially if it's know. a short film and there's like a bunch of them in a row though so he clapped after oh, every single one that's a little different if the yeah, lights that's... come up and you clap, it's all right because you're that's... celebrating the shared experience of cinema. But it's kind of like asking people to not clap during a graduation for every goddamn name. Yeah. By the if, time you if, hit the C's, you're gonna be tired. You can't do it. Oh yeah, your hands are gonna be chapped. It's gonna be terrible, and we're gonna be here all fucking night. And speaking of being here all fucking night, <laughs> we have work to do. Oh uh, yes, Marty is here because he is a huge fan of comic strips, and hopefully he can give us some insight into the Opus and Bill canon. Uh, because we're talking about Wish for Wings That Work. Uh, this episode, by the way, was requested by a listener of ours. Booker, if you're listening, how you doing? What's going on? Uh, you, too, could have an episode requested for us uh, if you email us at xmascreeps at gmail.com. Anyway, let's dive right in, shall we? Where to begin? Brad? Have you guys, had either of you seen this special before? Many, many times for me. Um Okay. This it, was a first for me. I was not familiar with this. It was it was on rotation in my house as a child pretty pretty regularly. Uh mm-hmm. and I I don't know why, uh, but we also had like the VHS tape of it, and this is like the one VHS tape I took with me when I moved out uh of my house. And after mm. a while as you grow up, it becomes very silly to contain like to keep moving a VCR around from house to house. <laughs> So you can have watch one VHS tape one time a year. So that's your your dedicated opus machine. Exactly. So I got rid of it. I don't know a while back, and so even though I watched it pretty regularly as a child and fre- infrequently as a teenager, uh, this watching it this week was probably the first time I'd seen it in 
six, seven years. So, uh, but I still like knew the lines, knew all the stuff. Uh, so it was it was in holiday rotation in my house. Uh, and since we're Jewish, that's a pretty big deal. <laughs> oh yeah, I'd say so. Well, I'm, I'm glad somebody on the on this show has a, has a history with this uh, this special because uh, it I found it quite charming as a first timer. I, I actually very, very much enjoy it, and I know uh, Burke Breathed is not a fan of this short. Does not care for it. Uh, that's fine. He's, he actually, like, in all the interviews with it, comes off as, like, kind of an asshole. Like, one interviewer... That's kind of what I, what I gathered, yeah. ...said that he, they, his family really liked it, and his, and his response was like, Oh, well, I'm glad you liked it, I guess. Was your family on speed? I hope that helps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I saw that. That was the Washpo one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so Opus is a penguin. And he has one very specific request for Santa Claus for Christmas, and that is for a pair of penguin wings that work. Specifically penguin wings, he says. He writes a letter to Santa Claus asking for... Where is the? Where is it here? He asks Santa Claus for specifically not fancy wings, just plain Jane, low rent, barely bent, homegrown, bare bone, off-the-shelf, two-part Kmart, no-frills flappers. It's a great little bit of writing. I think that's that might be the best part of this short is the writing, because it's also it's also sophisticated, but not not so much that it ruins sort of the childlike glee of watching a cartoon. Yeah, there's a lot of wordplay on here. It sounds like the writing really comes across like, and they they reference it later, like a 1940s uh, high-minded, highfalutin kind of northeastern accent. You can say this in. Like kind of a uh, like a almost a Catherine Hepburn kind of thing. Just plain Jane, low red, barely bent, homegrown, bare bone, off the shelf, two pot, Kmart, no frills, flappers. <laughs> I'm wondering if these lines came from the children's book. That is the the origin of this this special. Yeah, I wish we had gotten a copy of this book for the episode because that would be good to know. The library I... doesn't open for another thirty minutes. I I made the mistake. I wish I hadn't realized it, but I realized about six hours too late last night while I was laying in bed. You know, I really should have gotten the the book, but that's all right. (laughs) Go to your local library early and often, kids. Yes. Yes. Uh, So who wants to pick this up for me? Because I'm losing the plot. (laughs) So to be be honest, there's not a whole lot of plot to this movie uh, or to this special. It's like 22 no. minutes long of a lot of like vignettes and vamps. Uh, Opus, basically that's the premise. Opus wants penguin wings that work. He is writing the letter to Santa. And then we do a flashback as he's explaining to Santa in his letter like why he wants it. So we go to this flashback uh, of Opus's valiant attempts to like escape the bonds of Earth. He chases after some ducks who are just total dicks to him for no reason. Uh, and make fun of him for his weak little wings and his stupid little bow tie. Uh, and and it's just like a series of vignettes of him around the town that they live in, attempting to fly and being foiled most of the time by his would-be compatriot, Bill the Cat, uh, who uh, is kind of his quote-unquote sidekick, or wants to be his sidekick. Uh, several years ago, he rescued... Bill from a university science lab 
that replaced his brains with tater tots, which is a very, very early 90s joke to make. A lot of the humor in this is incredibly, like, 1991. Yes, it is. A- ab- absolutely, yeah. And even even into things like, I don't know, I don't, I don't feel like a cartoon in 2018 would ever reference, like, the Three Stooges at all. But, like, the three ducks that harass Opus are basically the Three Stooges. Like, you, you've even got the one with, like, the top of his, his, his scalp taken off. Like, he's basically curly and doing the no, nyah, nyah, nyah kind of shtick. And I don't feel like you would see that even today anymore. Like kids don't, kids back then probably didn't even know what the Three Stooges were, but they really don't know what they are now. I I'm mean, guessing, I'm assuming this is this is an Amblin John, right? So yeah, uh, like that was Spielberg and Amblin's whole thing. Like the Animaniacs existed, and this is kind of like a prelude to that. Just making oh, all that's these a good call, yeah, making all these like. Uh, old school references that children do not understand. Help children's parents don't really understand, but uh Steven Spielberg thinks they're funny and <laughs> so many Mickey Rooney jokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh I will say like I like this special. Uh I was never a big fan of Bloom County. Uh, I a I'm a little too young to be like reading it in its in its heyday, but even when I did read it, it always struck me as like a less creative Calvin and Hobbes, uh, mm-hmm. combined with like a less like vindictive or uh, brave Doonesbury. It had the same. Yeah, it had that's, the same, that's the vibe I got off it too. Yeah, same. Yeah, it had the same like recurring almost soap opera bit of like ongoing character stuff as as Doonesbury, but it also like whereas Doonesbury will actually go after specific politicians, uh, Burke Breathed's whole shtick was more like. Look at those clowns in Congress. What a bunch of clowns. You know, just like real yeah. generic, angry at the concept of government, uh, but nothing specific. So it always came across kind of toothless to me. Uh, and so I like this special main for the same reason that Burke Breathed doesn't like it. It's not that much like the comic strip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and two, like, the voice of Opus is, it's Michael Bell. It's the actor who voiced Chucky's dad on Rugrats, among a million other credits but the moment that that voice comes out of opus like it kind of it set me off a little bit because i wasn't expecting opus to be that meek i guess and i guess i should have been because that's that's really what this short is about Mm. is about a meek little character who wants something for christmas but i don't know that that voice doesn't quite play right for me i don't know what it is speaking of the voice cast I'm, i'm a little confused because you have two Two credits for Santa Claus. You have Frank Welker and Andrew Hill Newman listed on IMDb, both as Santa. And there's only one Santa in this show, so I don't understand who who is the real Santa. I'm going to give it to Frank Welker because that's a safe bet. Yeah. Maybe it was I, a, a stunt double. He was the the ho-ho-hos or something who couldn't pull him off. He had just come out of a, you know laryngitis or something like that and needed, needed somebody <laughs> to fill in there. Or maybe Frank Welker was busy doing, he was busy on Transformers that day, and they couldn't get him back for, like, the one extra line they needed. <laughs> so they just pulled some dude off the street, and can you, hey, can you do a good Megatron? Ah, fuck that, we'll just get you to do Santa instead. <laughs> uh, I mean, there there are a couple of cameos in this uh, special that very clearly sound like they are a little bit more rushed and, like, not quite as quite as high audio quality as the rest of them. Yeah, so let, let's get into that real quick. So um, after his initial uh, flight attempt, Opus has to go to his 
Earthbound Birds support group where um, he he attends a support group with a chicken, a kiwi, and a baby. <laughs> that's one of the kids from Bloom County, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, one of the kids. It, uh, uh, Ronald Ann, I think her name is. But yeah, she's a, a recurring character, but... <laughs> it's just I like the idea that a baby counts as an earthbound bird. <laughs> <laughs> I got the impression she was running it. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, a very early 90s thing. Just the concept of therapy is a joke. Like that's the punchline. Yeah. Like, the punchline is that's that strange. there is a support group. Uh and that that's a very like early 90s sensibility thing. Um so should we like I... reveal the uh well the the kiwi is voiced by Sudi Nim. Ah, you know, I I saw that in the credits and it, it didn't compute. But when you said it out loud, <laughs> I get it. It's a it is in fact a, a stage name, a pseudonym, if you will, uh, for one Robin Williams. I thought I recognized it as Robin Williams, honestly. As uh, George the Kiwi, who is distraught because his beloved Dolores left him for an al- an albatross albatross if if anything if anything has stuck with me over 20 years of this special it's albatross <laughs> i think it's one of the better goofs in this short confirm or deny dolores left george for wilbur from the rescuers i i assumed that Ooh. was the case Good call. My puny She left him for wins. John Candy. Weren't good enough, Dolores. <laughs> uh. Robin Williams' like New Zealand accent sounds like a, a cowboy like extra, like a bit <laughs> character in, in Gun. It's like Yosemite Sam down under. Yeah, it really yeah. is. <laughs> but you know he, but you know he kept doing it. Like he did it in both the Happy Feet movies too. Like, oh Robin Williams goodness. just loves that voice, and he loves doing it for birds for some reason. I couldn't... You made me remember Happy Feet, and I will hold a grudge against you for that for the rest of my life. Is Happy Feet bad, or did I just not get it, like, as it's a team? It's bad. It was not good. Okay. okay. I don't know. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna be the asshole that says Happy Feet is good, but Happy Feet 2 is bad. I mean, I'm okay with the message. It just wasn't a good movie. You know what's know. you know what's not bad? Uh, speaking of penguin movies, Surf's Up. Surf's Up I is, is decent. Up. It's decent. It a lot of the like dialogue is improvised and that kind of shows. Uh okay. but it's 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 the the animation is fun. A lot of the lines are pretty funny. It's uh, only got like the barest bones of a plot, but it's still it's a fun watch. It's not like I'm going to put it like a like a tier below Storks. On okay. the on the bird okay, yeah. on the bird animated comedy scale. I will say that I am very curious about Surf's Up 2, where half the cast is is voiced by WWE superstars. Yeah, that rules. I, I like how... I think they should just do weird shit with the Surf's Up franchise, because they released one movie, no one really cared about it, but they still own the rights to this franchise, so just just go wild with it. Surf's <laughs> Up in space. Well, not just Surf's Up, but also the WWE, too. Like they, They've done crossovers with Scooby-Doo, they've done Surf's Up. Like what What can't they do at this point? They should be doing everything. Like they should be the modern day Harlem Globetrotters. Like, like. Oh, I like know. that. I like that like, idea a lot. John John Cena and Sheamus should do like a cameo on on We Bear Bears or something weird like that. Like, <laughs> just just go for it. I, I just, mean, We Bear Bears has had professional athletes before, like uh, Damian Lillard, and uh, was was on there. They had a whole basketball episode. 
Um, so that's not a. I feel like I feel like and maybe I'm making this up. I feel like Seamus is in an episode of Supernatural, who also does like crossovers with Scooby Doo, or maybe that's the, like, they did, didn't they? Shit, yeah. Scooby Doo is like it's 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 an Abbott and Costello bit. Like you link everything through Scooby Doo. That's how you have a shared universe. Like Scooby Doo is <laughs> the Dooniverse, if you will. Elsewhere. Dooniverse, trademark, 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 Dooniverse. <laughs> So that is why Opus that is why Opus wants wings that work is because Seamus is in Surf's Up too. He's not. That's a lie. Oh, oh, there there is one other cameo that is uncredited in this uh scene. Uh as Opus gives up on his support group, he opens the door and there is a bug in a dress below him uh that asks, "Excuse me, is this cockroach cross dresses in crisis?" Uh, voiced by none other than one Dustin Hoffman, uh, also known yeah. for playing a, a crossdresser, probably most yeah. famously at that point, nineteen ninety one, in for Tootsie. And apparently, uh, be- because they were in production, Spielberg was in production on Hook at the time with Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman. He could sort of corral them into a studio for a couple of minutes to get them to drop a couple of nuggets for this, uh, this Christmas special. Oh, that's definitely why it de- it sounds like their voices sound audio quality different than uh, than everybody else's. Like they are very clearly just like on a smoke break. <laughs> they did it in a oh, running yeah. car with a, a hand voice recorder. Yeah, like like Hoffman insisted on only doing one take. Like, hey, oh, he was probably on set on Hook at the time, and they just brought a microphone to him. Like, he's probably in Captain Hook makeup at the at the moment. Yeah, the hook probably. Hand and everything. He's got the mic in the Hook hand. It's man. What was it with the '90s and so many jokes about transvestites? Like, it was a big thing. I don't uh, even know. Even in like children's media, I remember like people ragging on cross dressing. Uh, I think it's like Just prior to times. Prior to that, your only expo- exposition to it was like when Bugs Bunny would dress up as a girl bunny. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> did, did, did you find him attractive? And then like I don't know. It became. It, I, I think it really stems down to just ew. That's weird and gross. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna credit the Drew Carey show. Drew Carey show had a cross dressing character, and it was uh, treated fairly respectfully. And so I think that maybe that was a, a turning oh, point. Oh yeah, that was big, his brother, wasn't it? Yeah, big ups to Drew. Yeah, big ups to Drew. Uh, oh. I don't know. It's it's it, it is definitely a sign of the times. I mean, you guys, the, the '90s really is a strange time for for comedy in general because so much of like what was cutting edge back then is like. Is, is kind of off limits now as like passe and we're not going to touch any of that anymore. I mean, it, it's, dirty it lasted a while. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas quote unquote movies and one of my favorite episodes of Christmas griefs that you have done. Uh, you guys did uh kiss, kiss, bang, bang. And yeah, that a lot of the humor in that is very 2005. Uh, a lot of the humor oh, in that yeah. feels, feels weird. Even for 2005, a lot of like gay panic jokes. Uh, there's definitely like, like uh, Harry doesn't understand the difference between crossdresser and gay, uh, like a lot of that stuff in that. So that's 2005, and it feels very 2005. Uh, yeah, that was kind of like the 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 tail end of that era of comedy. Iron uh, Man busts out some wild transphobia in 2008, just out of nowhere. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? So oh, man. it it doesn't go away, but like this <laughs> this crossdresser joke in uh, that Dustin Hoffman does in Opus. 
Still far and away, just a weird moment. This again, this is just super nineties. Especially, especially weird because, and maybe this is just things that I pick up on is like the cockroach is dressed as a woman and he's got like the fake breasts that are clearly coconuts, but like they're cockroach sized coconuts. Like, where did you find them? (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's here's the thing, Joe. You just made me realize I don't know what coconut seeds look like, and I don't know how coconut trees grow. A coconut is the seed. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's a big seed. Then yes, I do. I do know what coconut <laughs> seeds look like. Oh. Wow. Uh, anyway. I, tiny coconuts. I don't know. It's tiny it's coconuts from, from tiny palm trees in the middle of winter. Sure. So, why not? So speaking of 90s stuff, Joe, where does uh, Opus go to get... Uh, his supplies when he decides to become an aeronautic vigilante. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He goes to Storm and Norman's War Toys and Balloons. Oh. Which is a Oddly great quote unquote nod to Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf. That that's kind of the Bloom County political humor. They'll just mention that Stor- that Norman Schwarzkopf exists without saying anything about him. Right, it's it's kind of like the, that that Dennis Miller in the '90s hasn't yet lost his goddamn mind kind of humor. Yeah, like we'll we'll reference things, but we won't actually like poke a, poke fun in one direction or the other. It's just Storm and Norman's war toys and balloons, and one and he buys a pack of balloons that he so that he can get airborne. And one of the packs of balloons is called Dolly Parton's balloons. <laughs> because sure, why not? <laughs> it is a boob joke. It is a boob joke. <laughs> But this joke. this uh, this kind of sets off a little uh, uh, sight gag where Opus and Bill are flying through the air on a set of like balloons and they wreak havoc all over the place. Um, and then he oh, then when the thing crashes and burns, Opus says to Bill, "I need cats like I need butt implants." And I wasn't sure where th- why he said that until later in the episode when his ass falls off multiple <laughs> times now. Just yeah. opens the door. I don't get. Is that a Bloom County thing, or is was that just a random gag they put in this short? I don't get it. Uh, I don't either. Um, it, it's one of the many bits just to fill time in this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like have pretty much everything. <laughs> oh, please, please remember everything we've talked to you about so far is in flashback. Like all yes. of this is just the prelude to explaining to you. Why he's writing to Santa. I don't think we need a whole lot of explanation to tell you why a penguin is writing to Santa. Like, that's one sentence. Hey, penguin wants to fly, so he writes to Santa. That's your premise. It's in, it, it, yeah, it's in the title of the of the short. It's a, a ping, penguin wishes for wings that work. Let's, that's I, it. I, I don't need to sit here and go, why? Why would a penguin wish for that? Like, the, the concept <clears throat> is pretty inherently self-explanatory. But we we cut back to him writing the letter in front of the fireplace. Oh, we should the mention he, what the uh, the animation on that uh, balloon sequence is really good. Like that's one of the highlights of this. This is very beautifully animated. I like a lot of the line work and stuff in here. Yes, I also really like the animation on Bill. For love, love or hate Bill, the way that he's animated and his jerky kind of spastic spastic motions are are a sort of a delight to behold. I think. I think it's one of the highlights of this this short. Yeah, I, I think that uh, 
my first reaction when when this thing ended was I need to see more of this. Like I kind of wished this had gone on for another twenty to thirty minutes, just so we can get more animation of Bill doing whatever the hell it is Bill thinks he's doing, <laughs> crashing into trash cans and staring and throwing up hairballs everywhere. I just I don't know that kind of weird animation worked for me and it, the whole thing is very well animated it looks beautiful counterpoint there wasn't enough story here for 22 minutes i don't think we need a full hour of it that's the thing yeah like <laughs> as, mu- as much as i would like to see more of this i know that it would be stretching it like crazy and they're already stretching it like crazy all right so so opus uh, has ma- has written his letter he puts it. He puts the letter in the envelope to mail to Santa. Realizes it's already Christmas Eve, so he decides to fax it to Santa instead. <laughs> it's another little '90s gag. '90s joke. <laughs> oh. Wait a minute, Marty. Say that one more time. '90s joke. <laughs> ah, yes. Nailed it. Awesome. <laughs> Faxes it to Santa Claus. Goes to bed, and then we get. The introduction of one Mr. St. Nick. Santa Claus enters the enters the short, uh, making his grand entrance to the Magnificent Seven theme for some strange reason. <laughs> the reindeer. The reindeer of the Magnificent Seven. Uh... Which one is missing? Oh, yeah. No. There's eight. Well, wait. Dasher, oh, yeah. Dancer, there's Prancer, technically Vincent, nine Tom if you count Cupid, Rudolph. Yeah, okay, then okay, it doesn't, so that doesn't make which, any sense. Never mind. Which two are missing? He lost two of them over He lost two of them over Kuwait. That might be why he... <laughs> damn. That might be why he crashes. <laughs> 90s joke! But, but uh, yeah, Santa's... Santa's sleigh comes uncoupled from the reindeer, and Santa goes flying down to the earth. But, bef- but before that, I do want to say the close-up animation on Santa Claus is kind of terrifying in this. Oh, the eyes. Those my, eyes. My entire life, I have wondered why they made that decision. Like, <laughs> I think I, my, only, my best guess is they hired somebody from like heavy metal or something and said, here, we need you to do this one shot. <laughs> It's just it's going to look weird as shit. Is that okay? <laughs> Fuck it, just do it. It's we just need a Santa Claus close up. It's intense horrifying close up of Santa's eye. You know, you know all, all all the trademarks of Santa, you know, the the belly like a bowl full of jelly, the the red suit, the hat, and the giant glowing mystical blue eye. The so, coked out bloodshot eye of Santa Claus. Amblin Entertainment had a summer internship program, but the interns had only learned eyes so far. So that was their project over the summer was to animate, <laughs> to draw the 24 frames of Santa's eye. And Steven Spielberg personally will pick the two best shots and use them in his upcoming <laughs> animated film. Yes. Oh, uh. So this presents sort of the conflict of the episode. You know, right here... We're, we're in the middle of the thing. Like, we've got ten minutes to go. This is the problem. Santa Claus has gone miss Not missing. Santa Claus has lost his reindeer. Christmas Eve, Opus goes to bed and has a dream. He dreams that he is flying a DC-3 over China. And he dreams this as he's composited into the film Lost Horizon, where uh, the pilot, everybody's freaking out that the pilot is flying the wrong way and... Uh, Opus is frantically trying to you know manu- manipulate the controls to keep the airplane aloft, 
And then the plane starts crashing, and he turns to the camera and says, Why are we going down? Why are we going down? We're going down because penguins can't fly. And he wakes up in a, in a panic. So, yeah, it, it does. It uses a big chunk of the movie Lost Horizon, uh, a Frank Capra-like adventure movie, uh, featuring a man who, despite I know, despite the fact that I know it's impossible, I have always thought it was Elliot Gould. <laughs> boy, I say that, boy, we're going the wrong way. I've, that man is Elliot Gould to me. Um, according to IMDb, this this is referenced again in Madagascar Two, the joke, the penguins can't fly joke, the penguins, you know, flying the plane, etc. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That also has to be a, a, where the reference from the the critic came from. Uh, yes. Well, yeah. Penguins can't fly. This segment was kind of the turning point of this sh- this short for me. I wasn't really feeling it up until this point, but I'm a huge sucker for composite jokes like this. Yeah, I think we need we needed more of this. Yeah, yeah, you could have definitely gotten away with with doing a little bit more of this, especially Amblin, because that's kind of their bread and butter. Um, so then, so then Opus wakes up. Uh, he gets up out of bed, um, and. He yawns, and everything in the room yawns with him. I like that little bit. The posters <laughs> yawn with him and everything. Uh, I think the, like, dresser yawns. Yeah, the dr- like, this giant, pic- like, painting on the wall of a, of a very angry-looking man with a cigar in his mouth. And it, it yawns with him. It's creepy. It's actually kind of creepy. Why does Opus even have that over his bed, is my question. I was befuddled by it when he went to bed. I was even more confused when it yawned with him. Uh, let's go around the room real quick, and uh, everybody, tell me what you have hanging over your bed. Uh, a bunch of a bunch of USB uh, string lights. Uh, a black and white photograph of a man fishing outside of a Scottish castle that my girlfriend bought. It's rather nice. I like it. Like to dream that he's uh, he's catching some stuff up there. And uh, I, I have a framed laser disc of the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. That rules. I love it. <laughs> so you know, uh, Opus is is not alone in having strange things hanging above his bed. Is what okay. we're saying. Yes. So the ducks drag Opus to the lake to show him this terrible thing that they've discovered, and they discover that Santa Claus and his sleigh are trapped in the middle of this icy lake, and they can't save him, but they know someone who can, and that person is Opus. Opus, who believes, by the way, this is going to be a, uh, a a hazing ritual. Oh yeah, he's he's so sure that they're gonna they're gonna do something terrible to him on Christmas Eve. I I get the whole thing where Opus is able to swim underwater in icy cold water, but ducks are kind of known for being able to swim in water as well. Ice water, ice water, ice, in, it's ice yeah. water in our stick. It's exactly how they put it. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, you know. I've no, seen those ducks out there in the having, puddle in the in the in the tiny part of the lake that's not frozen in the dead of winter. But anyways, <laughs> well, having seen the, the the whole film now, the whole short, uh, there's probably a good reason for this. They do this. They they get Opus to do this on purpose mm. because he's a penguin, and penguins, while they can't fly, they can sure as hell swim. Much better than a duck. Yes. Yeah. So Opus swims out to Santa's sleigh, ropes the sleigh, and drags it ashore. And Santa rewards Opus by gr- granting his wish, quote unquote, or I, the penguin wings that work were inside you all along. 
Or outside <laughs> bum, you, really. Bum. I mean, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. Santa gives you nothing. <laughs> Santa gives you the thing you had all the time. Very... Uh, <laughs> a hat. <laughs> it's the Santa hat. <laughs> okay, uh, no. so so by rules, does Opus become Santa Claus now, or is that only if he murders Santa? <laughs> If he well, had he left on the to suit, Santa. yeah, he has to murder Santa and put on the suit. He put Ranger on the hat. Will know what to do. <laughs> he put on the hat. He was gifted the hat. I feel like if if there were if there had been a second Bloom County Christmas special, Bill definitely would definitely would have accidentally killed Santa and crawled into the suit. Right? Oh, definitely, yes. definitely. And Opus would have to be his Charlie and tell him how great it is, even though Bill definitely does not want to be Santa Claus. Damn, dude, this special sounds awesome. I'd watch that. We need to get Tim Allen on the horn pronto. Wait, no, no, we don't. It's probably pretty easy. Also, Tim Allen sucks. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah. I, I, if we're going to have to re- reboot the Santa Claus franchise, and you know that shit's coming, I would rather boot Tim Allen and get somebody else. Paul Rudd. Like Pronto. It's Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd Paul would be a pretty Rudd, good candidate. Yes. Charlie like Day? That. No. <laughs> But Char- Char- Charlie Day as an elf would be great. Yes, he would. You know what? Let's just go ahead and cross over Always Sunny with the Santa Claus verse. How about that? <laughs> Put that Charlie Day in the Bernard role? Yeah, I'd watch that. The gang oh, murder yeah. Santa Claus. <laughs> oh. I would be there uh, opening day. Hell yes. So- Only you. You and only me, and only me. <laughs> Sold one ticket. This movie made ten dollars and ninety four cents at the box office. Anyway, so Christmas morning, Opus wakes up and he—it's Christmas morning. I don't think I think he thinks he's gotten nothing for Christmas, and then he opens the door and there's ducks as far as the eye can see, and they're all wearing Opus's little bow tie, um, and. Oh. They take him for a flight. They pick him up and they they whisk him off to parts unknown in the air. And maybe the mo- the most touching little moment in this entire short, uh, Opus asks the why ducks. Doing the this. ducks, yeah. yeah. Whose idea it was basically? Yeah, yeah. And they point down and like, there's Bill standing there, just kind of staring up, yeah, like he does. And uh, Opus throws the Santa hat down to him, and they fly off. Merry Christmas, one and all. Yeah, and we hadn't mentioned this, but uh, Opus and Bill had a bit of a falling out prior to this. During yeah, the, the, bl- the balloon, balloon, the balloon sequence. fiasco. Yeah. So the balloon it's... fiasco was uh, the kind of the falling out point for Opus and Bill. Uh, but but they're they're best buddies. They're reconciled at the end. There's all, there's Day another Day. character that we completely forgot to mention because it doesn't matter at all. Does not take place. But there's a pig who thinks he's a rhinoceros. Mm-hmm. I guess. That's sort of a joke. Sort of. It's uh, it's the setup of a joke, and there's no punchline. Is this is I again? I have very little Bloom County slash Outland experience. Is this a is this an like a recurring character? I, I have to imagine it think is. So I don't oh, really. I don't. I could be completely wrong, but I don't remember seeing that pig in any other circumstances. The other recurring character I have to mention is the Elvis lookalike in the group of Kaler, ca- carolers. Fat Elvis specifically. Yes, absolutely. Because this is again, this is the '90s, and this is Amblin Entertainment. Yeah, the, the fat has Elvis to be Fat Elvis. We're all the rage. Oh, so that's a wish for wings that work, everybody. It's a it's a 
Christmas special that maybe shouldn't exist, but I'm I'm kind of glad it does. I, I enjoyed this one. I'm of two minds of it. I came around on it at the end, but having never seen this before and having not really spent... I'm sure I read Bloom County or Outland when I was little. I'm sure I've read one of these joints uh, because I was big into the Sunday Funnies when I was little. I almost agree with the creator that I feel like this type of humor doesn't necessarily translate too well to film because there were very few moments that I would find that I found like laugh out loud funny. They were all like sensible chuckle Sunday funny kind of situations. I don't know. Well, well, well it's not nice. Bradford before you say that you agree with Burke Brethid on this. Uh, Joe, please read this paragraph that you copied and pasted into the notes at the Uh-oh. bottom here. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, he, he had been asked at one point, uh, I believe by the Washington Post, about this special. And he, he gives his rationale for why he dislikes it so much. And here it is. <clears throat> Quote, The director, who was fired, Skip Jones, by the way, managed to sprinkle a profane cornucopia of inappropriate flotsam around the show. Find a moldy DVD and check out the opening sequence. Watch the snowy hills during the pan. Some of them aren't hills, and that train track isn't really going into a train tunnel. Unless it's Sigmund Freud's. It's pretty funny now. Imagine how funny it was when we finally spotted it during final mixing. Six days before network broadcast. Keep in mind, this is a Spielberg production of a family Christmas show. I tried but failed to imagine Stephen believing me when I tried to disclaim authorship of a woman's snow anus in the countryside or the sign in the window of the store that says, For Sale Cheap, Santa's Balls. Too late to change. This was the pre-digital age. We courageously let it go without telling anyone. I'm glad I'm telling this in a trade magazine, and I can feel safe that it won't be going out on the internet thing. (laughs) I have some bad news for you, bud. You're on the internet now. Okay, so I find it interesting that he refers to the internet as the internet thing. Look, it was it was a simpler time. <laughs> Can you imagine encountering anybody that refers to the internet as the internet thing right now in this day and age that isn't uh, <laughs> under the age of 95? I'm very confused because he says a moldy DVD, so he's presuming that the DVDs have been around for a long time. So exactly when is the point that DVDs are old enough to be moldy, but we refer to the internet as that internet thing? Where is that a- overlap? <laughs> it's a very narrow gap. It's like a two-day period, I think. <laughs> Uh, also, oh. I have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. I read that quote before I watched this special. I caught maybe one hill that looked kind of like some genitalia, and that's about it. I found the shot that he's talking about, and it's one of those things, like, once you once you see it, you can't unsee it. And, like, once he mentioned it, I went back and looked, like, oh, yeah, you can definitely tell. But it's definitely, like... A like a prone ass like lying face down <laughs> with a train tunnel coming out of it, and it's Hell. like, why would you? Why would a person do this? I understand why the director got fired now. Boredom. Uh, uh yeah. On the, on the other hand, every animator has drawn weird, dirty stuff and snuck it in there because they were bored. Uh, I I like the part where he's worried about like pissing off Steven Spielberg with his like slight dirty jokes here. Steven Spielberg, producer of Animaniacs. 
notable for the fingerprints fingerprints joke. joke. Yeah, exactly. So good. <laughs> like Steven Spielberg would have just been like, "Ha, oh, that's funny," and just gone about his day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and and two like. This is 91. Spielberg has, like, a lot of bigger fish to fry than this. I'm sure he didn't he even care. He does not care. He just put his name on it, essentially. Exactly. He gave it his blessing. Do you guys remember in the, like, early to mid-90s, like, this whole, like, minor moral panic about Disney movies having subliminal, like, yeah, stuff yeah, like that that's in one it? Of my like, favorite like, the clouds, of the, clouds and the Lion King with the word sex? Oh, no. Okay, <laughs> like, but... But the cover of The Little Mermaid, the VHS cover, straight up has a dick. Like, there's just a Yeah, it totally does. Unrec- <laughs> it totally like, does. Unrecognized, or mistakenly, a dick. There's, uh. there's some shit in there, like, like in The Rescuers, I guess you can supposedly see a naked woman's torso. For, like, three frames, you have to go frame by frame to see it. And it's just, like, <laughs> it flashes real quickly in the window of a scene that they're, like... Flying at, by or whatnot. they're flying by. Like, you would have, the extent that you would have to go to, but this is, like you said, the moral panic, the, uh, you know, this is prior to Harry Potter or Pokemon, so uh, your your moral moms have to get something going. They, they, they already got the little explicit lyric stickers going on there, so now they're bored, and what else can we ruin for our children, yeah. Yeah, this is pre-Mortal Kombat and Night Trap as well, so. <laughs> that's true, that's true. Video games are still kind of an amusement, like... Uh, I thought I was going to get through an episode without mentioning video games. I was so close. <laughs> oh, damn it, Brad. You were doing so well. Uh, we got notes about that from our last episode. <laughs> somebody dragged me real hard, and I deserve it. I, this is appropriate for kids, right? Like, you guys watched it as ch- or Marty, you watched this as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. If anything, kids might be a little bored, but, like, it's a cute penguin and a silly barfing cat. That's That's entertaining mm-hmm. enough. And, yeah, there's, and there's the, nothing really wrong with it. The colors are bright. You you might lose the kid during the like three minute Lost Horizon sequence. Uh, yeah, that's a little strange. But other than that, I think it's it's perfectly fine to to show kids or families at, at the at Christmas time. So there, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so hey guys, uh, let's score this uh, this feature, shall we? Let's do yes. it. On our patented crankometer, our XY-axis uh, scatter plot, where we discuss how Christmassy these fe- these films are versus how good they actually are. Uh, the X-axis is our Christmas quotient. Uh, so, Bradford, uh, how Christmassy is a wish for wings that work? It's it's reasonably Christmassy, especially in the back half. I'm giving a solid two because it's about it's it's mostly the framing device is his letter to Santa. That's pretty Christmassy. And this yeah. happens on Christmas. It's certainly more Christmassy than a lot of the media we watch. It's a Christmas special for kids. I, I think it might lose points simply because it's really just about someone asking Santa for a gift for Christmas hmm. and doing a good doing a good deed, and then that's basically it. Like, there's yeah. not a whole lot of room for moralizing or uh, uh, Christmas feel goodery. It's just kind of you know we we get in, we get out, no fuss, no muss. It is bare bones. It's yes. bare bones, yeah. So I think I want to be generous and say three, but that's as high as I want to go. Yeah, this is this is out of five. Uh, yeah, out of five. It, so I mean, in addition to like the framing device being a letter, uh, Opus is like I'll be flying on Christmas morning. Um, you got the running gag of the carolers. Uh, they get caught on some Christmas lights during the balloon sequence. Three, three is about yeah, right. It's 
know, it's it, a flimsy three. It could have been. It could have been Christmas year. Yes. Yeah, it definitely could have. But uh, and also it also could have it, been a could lot they have less done the story Christmas without Christmas. Like, mm. could he just have wanted? Could he just have been like, you know, a wish for wings that work? I want a new pair of wings for my birthday. Yeah, you a, know. a birthday wish for wings. Like, yeah. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say yeah. Let's give it a two, Christmassy. And then our on our y axis, uh, how how good would you guys say this was on a scale of negative uh, five to five? I think this is a pretty solid piece of work. Like I, I like the animation. I think the the voice acting is interesting, if not particularly good. And I think it's you know for maybe a maybe a pilot. If this had been a pilot for like an Opus and Bill cartoon series, I think this would have been great. But uh, you know, as it is, it's just kind of a one off, and that's fine. It's decent. I would give it a three. I'm going to be a bit of a curmudgeon. It might be the mental state I was in when I was watching it. I For the first half, I just felt like it was kind of there. I don't know. It wasn't doing a lot for me, so I'd give it a two or a three. I'm going to let, I'm going to let Marty be the, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll play the, the decider. Op- I'll play the optimist role here. Uh, like I mentioned before, it, a lot of it doesn't hold up upon rewatch now that I'm a little bit older, uh, but for all the critiques that I have about it, it, it coasts by on charm for me. Uh, also indirectly me liking it makes Burke breath angry. So, uh, <laughs> and he just seems kind of like a tool. So I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to give it a little bit more generous, uh, a 3.5. If me liking it means Burke breath, hates it. You know what? Let's call it a five. <laughs> <laughs> all right. No. So we'll, uh, Three split, then, maybe? split all the differences and say three, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, on our our crankometer scale, uh, Booker plotted out this is a a two positive a positive two positive three. Uh, so get your, get your hurricane charts out and plot that out, and uh, we will soldier on this this uh, upcoming holiday season, guys. We're we're in July now. We're rounding the curve into the holiday season, and I oh. I wanted to say this at the start of the show, but we kind of sped past it. Uh, I have a little a bit of news about Holiday Creep in action. Could I share oh. this with you real quick? Oh, please. Yes. Uh, this past uh, Friday, Friday the 13th, Big Lots announced their entire lineup of Halloween decorations. Oh, we are getting here, huh? We're getting there. We are We are in the... The, uh, the, the creep is real, people. The creep is happening. I mean, we uh, are post-4th of July at this point. So other than back to school, which is kind of a thing in retail. I feel That's, like this is all they have. It's like on July 5th now, you know? Yeah, absolutely it does. Yeah, it's, I, it's crazy. I, I worked retail for about five years. I'm trying to imagine when that stuff starts showing up. Like, okay, so it's early it's July. Pretty early. They, you said they announced the Halloween stuff? Halloween yeah. stuff usually showed up for us, and I worked at like major big box. It usually showed up about mid-August. Like we would that have... sounds about right. Like September 1st usually would be kind of the beginning of the halloween season gotta get it out on the store floor by then but but that that's mid-august it actually shows up in our warehouse like i'm sure the plans Mm -hmm. to for the line came out months in advance so i guess july sounds right i guess so yeah and this is all uh all stuff you can order online you've got your halloween lights you've got your outdoor decor You've got your like weird black and gold pumpkins for some reason. Um, <laughs> this year's pumpkin in color, in pumpkin color. All of uh, your shitty yep. plastic Halloween needs brought to you by <laughs> Big Lots. Uh, so uh, that is Christmas creeps for uh, this week. 
if you enjoyed the show and you'd like to uh, make a recommendation for a future episode, you can get at us on uh, Twitter. We are at Christmas Creeps on Twitter. Or find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Christmas Creeps. Uh, you can email us any, any recommendations or notes or comments or hate mail or whatever you want to send us at uh, xmascreeps at gmail.com. Uh, find us on, you know, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on, uh, I, I submitted us this week to the Google Play Podcasts uh, site, which I did not know existed until this week. Um, and that was, uh, that was partially because of a, somebody who was kind enough to shout us out on YouTube, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we got, uh, uh, found a YouTube video of uh, a woman dis- explain- describing her favorite Christmas podcasts, and we were part of that, and we're happy to be in the mix in anybody's favorite holiday listening schedule. Honored, um, even. Honored, yes. Uh, you can find uh, Marty at uh, Breaking Mayberry and his podcast, Breaking Mayberry. Marty, thank you for being here. I, I had a fun time tonight. I hope you hope you did, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what else? Uh, we're working on a new podcast for Front Row Central. Uh, yes, yes, we are. Yeah, we're working on a new podcast for Front Row Central. It's called Front Row Central's Double Date, and the concept is that uh, our critics go to the movies in pairs uh, and talk about them and review them to each other. So Joe and I have not been on a date yet, uh, but I hope to go on a date with you very soon, Joe, for our show. Well, you know what? It, it's uh, it's been a long time coming, and yeah. uh, I think uh, I think our date will go just what just fine. So that, yeah, that's Front Row Central Double Date. We haven't launched it yet. I'm working on the first episode right now, but uh, that should be launching in the coming weeks. Yeah, we got two episodes in the can. Hopefully, more to come. All right, folks. Well, Marty, thank you for, so much for being here with us today. Thanks um, for bringing me on. I loved it. We loved having you. And uh, hey, that's uh, Christmas Creeps for this week. Uh, Good night, everybody. Night. Night. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. He's been drinking. Wait a minute. Penguins can't fly. Penguins can't fly!